Welcome to Fraud Busting. I'm Tracy Brown, the Fraud Busting Body Language Expert. I've spent the last 20 years reading people, uncovering secrets hidden in plain sight to find the truth in crimes, politics, and billion dollar business deals. It's time to dive in so you can beat the fraudsters at their own game and build your bottom line. In this episode of Fraud Busting, I interview Cameron J from the Classic City Crime Podcast. This is a little bit different than what I normally do. He's working to solve the 20-year-old murder of Tara Baker in Athens, Georgia. He'll tell us all about the suspects, his thoughts on them, and we'll talk about how he asked me to read some body language in the case. You'll be fascinated with the story and want to subscribe to his podcast to see if he can find out who did it. Enjoy. Hi, it's Tracy. Just a quick thought. What would you do with $4? With that same money, a hacker can buy all of your info. I mean, social security number, credit card numbers, passwords, health insurance info, and yes, even your kids' information. Now, I've searched around on the dark web, and it's a good bet your info is out there for sale waiting to be used. If you're lucky, it'll just be a few charges to your credit card. But smart hackers are tapping into your credit to buy TVs, cars, houses, use your medical insurance, and even take over your banking and investment accounts, effectively kicking you out of your own accounts. You're the one that's gonna be stuck with this big problem, have mystery bills due, and need to get your money back while repairing your good credit. Now the folks at ID Shield know this and have the solution. I've teamed up with them on their ID theft insurance. It's comprehensive, it's inexpensive, and it will let you rest easy. They will replace any money you lost, give you access to their team of licensed private investigators to do whatever it takes to repair your credit score. Yep, they'll do the heavy lifting and spend all the hours on the phone and the time it takes to restore your online reputation to pre-breach levels. You, your money, and your reputation are worth more than $4. Treat yourself like it. Go to fraud-busting.com slash idshield to learn more and get covered today. It's fraud-busting.com slash idshield. We'll see you on the protected side when you get there. Cameron, thank you so much for coming on Fraud Busting. It's really an honor to, to have you on here. Now, let me just tell people what happened. So I get this email um, the other day, it was actually last week asking, and I get these emails all the time about people asking, can I look at a little clip or, or uh, can I tell them what someone is thinking? And um, I'm always happy to do that, take, take a quick look, but yours is a little different because you're actually doing something about what has gone on for you. And why don't you tell everyone the whole story about your podcast and what you're up to now, how, how we got to be here now together. Yes. Well, first of all, Tracy, thank you so much for number one, responding to my email. It's always hard to get people to do that, especially nowadays. So first of all, thank you so much for uh, responding so quickly. I really appreciated that. Oh, it's my um, pleasure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. My name's Cameron Jay. Um, I'm here from the Peach State, Georgia, uh, where it is not snowing like it is there in Colorado. So I'm a little <laughs> jealous of that. It's kind of hot here. 
Um, but yeah, a few months ago, actually, before COVID started, and it actually ended up being the perfect pandemic project, if you will, um, I decided to start a podcast. And, you know, I wanted to do something related to true crime. It's a, something that's very interesting to me. I was formerly a, an apprentice funeral director and embalmer. Um, and so that really opened my eyes to a lot of different crime scenarios and scene scenarios that sparked this interest in me. And then um, in 2008, my best friend was killed by a distracted driver um, when he was um, going down the road with his family. Um, someone was on their GPS, and that was considered a crime here in the state of Georgia. Um, wow. So I experienced crime personally in that way. And then back in the 90s, when I was a child, my second cousin, who was actually my mom's best friend, was killed um, in a murder in our hometown. So oh. there's just a lot of things going on that's inspired me to start this true crime podcast. And the podcast is really about the girl you see here. Um, her name is Tara Louise Baker, and she was a bold, bright, beautiful young woman who was in her first year of law school here at the University of Georgia. She wanted to be a real estate lawyer, or as she called it, wanted to practice happy law. <laughs> Wait, and oh, happy law. Oh, yeah. Oh, that would be way better. Yeah. Yes, happy law, not any of the shady stuff or the criminal stuff. And so that's really what she wanted to do. And she had set her mind to that. You know, she was the, a daughter of a wonderful family, um, a girlfriend to a loving boyfriend, um, a friend to many and a classmate to a lot of people. So her death really affected this city. And the interesting thing about it is as much as it affected the city and as much finger pointing as happened, not one bit of it has been solved. No one has been arrested. The case is still ongoing to this day, 20 years later. And so I thought, why not? Why not help this family? Why not start a podcast and see cancers? Because it's obvious what we've been doing for the last 20 years on the case isn't really working. So why not try something new? And that's what led me to start Classic City Crime and to email you, Tracy, um, to review some of the footage that we are going to be sharing with our listeners actually this week. Oh, wow. Okay, so I am so fascinated by this because you took it upon yourself to say, I can do a better job than the police have done over the last 20 years of getting to the bottom of this thing. So where'd you start? What, I mean, what? Uh, and obviously you're recording your chronicles as you go. It's kind of a live uh, yes. experience of what you find every week, but where, where'd you start? I mean, how would you even go about that? Yeah. So one thing that I said is I didn't want to be just another true crime podcast. I mean, I don't know if you've looked, but there's quite a lot of them out there. There's a ton. And yeah. I thought, how can we do this differently? And I've always been a friend of a uh, fan rather of every show that you can think of Dateline 48 hours. It's just always a topic that's interested me. And even even a lot of those in the podcast I was listening to really focused on the whodunit scenario, mm -hmm. who killed this person and why. And I thought, why don't we approach this from a different angle and let's talk about who Tara Louise Baker was. And much to the dismay of a lot of my listeners, I actually probably spent about three weeks just telling that story of who she was as a daughter who she was as a student, who she was as a friend and as a girlfriend, and really let listeners fall in love with her because I believed that if they could fall in love with her, which, I was, which is not a hard thing to do, by the way, that they would fall in love with this story and with helping me find answers. And that's one thing that's been so remarkable, Tracy, is that through this, you know, a lot of what I have found is really from the bravery of people speaking out 20 years later 
about something so traumatic and so heartbreaking for them, but nevertheless saying, I'm ready to talk. I want to find answers and I want to find justice for Tara. Wow. Okay. So how'd you know her? I did not know Tara. So the oh, interesting really? this, yeah, is I came to Athens and I always read the newspaper. Uh, the newspaper here is the red and black on campus. And I was sitting in my dorm room one day and it was one of the anniversaries of her death actually. And I read the story on it. And I remember looking up a lot of things about it when I did that. And I was like, this is really an interesting case. How is this not solved 20 years later? But I didn't do anything about it then. I just read it as an interesting story, put it in the back of my mind and continue with, continued on with my freshman year of college. Uh-huh. Um, and then when I decided I wanted to do this podcast, I started thinking, what case should I do this on? Which case, there are so many unsolved cases in Athens, which is a whole nother topic. But well, we have those I, in Boulder too. You heard of John Benet Ramsey? Oh yes, <laughs> we got that. Yes. That's about a mile from where I'm sitting right now. So, comment down. One of the profilers who has spoken on my um, on my podcast worked on the John Benet Ramsey case, so people can find his insight on this case pretty early on in the season too, which, as you mentioned, is live in action as we discover it. We're releasing it. So. Mm-hmm. Um, when I saw this, though, and thought about, you know, all these years later, who do I want to do a podcast about? Where could I possibly start? Should I start telling random funny stories about crime in Athens? Should I start, you know, focusing on this case or that case? And it was really when I thought back to that moment and remember Tara that I said, maybe that's the case that needs some attention. And boy, did it need some attention. And that, that has really, you know, kicked things off. And like I said, spurred a whole new investigation that is completely different from anything that this case, or I believe our city's ever seen before. Wow, okay, so who'd you reach out to first? So the first person I reached out to was Tara's sister. Um, Her name is Meredith, and initially I did not know if she was going to tell me to take a hike or if she was going to, you know, accept my help. And what I did was I found someone that we had a mutual connection with, and I reached out to him and I said, please talk to her and let her know that I'm not crazy. I have really good intentions and I want to tell the story. And thankfully he did that for me and that kind of paved the way for her to open up her heart and his story to me. Um, and we spoke on the phone first for the first time about four or five months ago and here we are. Um, and it went from her to her brothers, to her mom finally being convinced and boy, we formed such a bond, her mother and I. Um, we talk all the time, everyone's always called me an old soul, um, but I, I just call her sometimes and we don't even talk about Tara or the case sometimes, it's just, how are you? What are you doing? What are you up to? How, are you taking care of yourself? Did you get enough sleep? Um, so she's kind of become a second mom to me through all of this too. Wow, okay, so what's the most interesting thing that you've found, like maybe that the police haven't? Mm, mm. That's a good question. One thing that I will say is I get why this case was so hard. I want to be upfront and honest about that. You had a crime scene for your listeners, just sort of where they know Tara was attacked in her home on January 19th of 2001. Um, she was supposedly getting ready for class and she was attacked. She was stabbed, beaten, and strangled. Um, it was a very very violent crime, and the killer did not stop there. They went on to set her room on fire to conceal the crime, to conceal the evidence, um, further further damaging the baker's grieving process and elongating it uh, even. So you have a lot of things at play here. You have a crime scene 
that is number one in disarray because of a fire. You have a crime scene in disarray because of the water damage due to firefighters outside fire. Then you have a group of investigators who might not have, you know, quarantined off or roped off the scene and secured the scene in an appropriate manner. You have a rainy day. You have firefighters in and out of this scene. And you have really four persons of interest, key persons of interest that are all very interesting characters. Okay, um, who are they? Let's go down, let's go down the list quick. And, yeah. then, and then let's talk about who you think did it up to now and like and why. Like that's that's I think the most interesting thing here. Yeah, absolutely. So the first person of interest that the initial investigators actually get this still believe killed Tara Baker mm-hmm. was her classmate, a law student classmate. And we've all had that classmate. I'm sure you know exactly the kind of classmate I'm talking about, Tracy, the misogynist who knows everything, Mm. um, flirts with everyone in the class. And I don't think his flirtation or advances were necessarily unique to Tara. I think they were something he would have done for any pretty girl. Um, Many people say that, you know, he wanted to be everyone's friend and wanted to be the cool guy and just went to really odd lengths to be that way. And as you I both know being a weird guy in class and being a misogynist, unfortunately, does not make you a murderer. Right. And that's that I really had to step back and look at and ended up, I was able to talk to the alibi from 2001 of the classmate. And I will say, I believe her. It matches what she told police in 2001. I spoke to this um, person of interest, uh, the classmate on the phone, actually. Oh, you did. Okay. And? And He did take the call, he was very kind, and then he politely declined. But I got the feeling that he was, number one, taken off guard by me calling him 20 years later. Um, And number two, I'm sure this is a grueling thing for him to deal with too. That being said, is there a possibility the classmate could have been? I mean, I can't rule that out. Do I think it's likely and that he had motive? Do I think that she would have let him in? That's another key part of this case. There was no forced entry to the home. I don't think she would have let the odd weird guy into her home. So he just doesn't stick out top of my list. That being said, I will continue to look into it until I can tell you 100% that I do not believe he did. Um, Okay, who else is on the list? Next, we have the boyfriend, you know, the first place that everyone looks. And, yeah, yeah. and I believe that police also were initially focused on him as well. Um, and for good reason, him and Tara were in a relationship. They uh, were in a loving relationship by all accounts that I could find. And, you know, this boyfriend had not spoken out in 20 years to the media ever. And one good thing that I like to remind people is I don't consider myself to be the media. I consider myself truly now to be an advocate for victims and for victims' rights and for families that deserve justice. And for the first time in 20 years, the boyfriend picked up the phone and did an interview for our podcast. Oh, wow. And you you can find that around episode 10, 11, somewhere around there. Um, But he gave a full hour-long interview. The grief was, you know, so hard to hear, to process, to, to hear in his voice how much he loved her and how horribly he was treated by police who now do not believe he had any involvement by the way Mm -hmm. um so we have cleared him he's been cleared before um but he it was really good for a lot of people who i think still didn't know how important this didn't know it rather what happened in the case or what happened to him personally to hear his voice 
and to put to rest finally for them that he was not involved in the murder of Tara Louise Baker. And that's what's been beautiful about the podcast, Tracy, is even if we don't find out exactly who killed Tara and why, we have started a healing process for so many people. The Baker has now healed with with Tara's boyfriend. He, by the same token, has healed by that um, with them and has learned to accept, um, you know, why people might have thought he did it, but also has spoken out to let us know that he didn't. So it's it's remarkable. Huh, okay, okay, two more on the list. Okay, yes, so moving on to number three, and this is probably the person who the most has been said about in Classic City Crime, um, which you can find on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts, sure. uh, Google Podcasts, we just got on there. Okay. Um, but he worked with Tara at a law firm. Tara was an aspiring attorney, as I told you, and she was really all about doing everything she could to expose herself to the practice of law. And so before she went to law school, she spent a year working for a law firm here in Athens, a very powerful, powerful law firm. And during that time, she became friends with a young attorney there who was practicing litigation. Um, And he definitely had the eyes for Tara. There's not one person that I've spoken to that has not attested to the fact that he had an eye for and, you know, something for the young people in law firm. Okay. We have had women speak out over and over again, attesting to violent sexual behavior. We've had women reach out and attest to drug use. With this guy at the law firm? Yes. To extramarital affairs, to not going home to his wife, who was married at the time and having affairs with women in the firm, having an eye for Tara, having an eye for other women. So there's just a lot surrounding this individual that makes me ask the question, number one, why was he so infatuated with Tara with a wife at home? Number two, what did that relationship become? Mm-hmm. Number three, why did he leave town without a noise three months after Tara was killed? Why did the police never interview his wives at the time? Why? did the physical evidence his own body held at the time confirmed by multiple sources. He had scratches on his neck in the days after Tara's death. Oh boy. Why was this never investigated by police? None of the people that I've interviewed regarding this suspect who are in the multitudes have been interviewed by police. If they have called police, police have not returned their phone call. I think oh, really? Because of that powerful law firm? Why? Exactly. Okay. So, you know, I always say, Tracy, go where the leads take you, right? Mm-hmm. There's a reason that I have reached a wall with certain people that we're looking at. Yet, every week, someone new calls with something to say about the attorney. And I think that's really telling. Even if he did not kill Tara... He's a figure in this case that number one went under investigated by police and mm-hmm. number two acted very, very suspiciously in the months and years after Terry died. Oh, wow. Okay, okay. So who's the fourth person on the list? Fourth and final person on the list. Remember I told you that there was no forced entry to Tara's home. Right. So there has to be access, whether that access is knowing Tara and being let in 
or having a key to the home themselves. So your mind might immediately go, roommate, no, I don't want you to go there. They've become dear friends of mine. Think even further, who is the person who comes to your home when you're not there as a college student to fix your air conditioning? It's the maintenance guy. That's the video you sent me. It's the, <laughs> the maintenance guy. Yeah, so, yes. so what do you think about the maintenance guy? And then let's talk about this video. First of all, I think that he is a good suspect. I do believe that and I will concede that. However, being odd, as we've said, and being a drug user does not make you a murderer. So here's what we know about the man. He did have access to Tara's home and he was supposed to do a work order close to her home the morning of Tara's murder. Mm -hmm. He also had been suspected of breaking into other homes in the area. Mm -hmm. In those homes, there no sexual assault or anything um, like what happened in Tara's case with a brute, you know, a brutal murder occurring. So, and of course, there was also a fire that occurred in another unit in the in the vicinity of where Tara lived not long before she was killed, about a month. So there's a lot of really interesting things surrounding this guy. And it goes back to that key thing I said about access and key, no pun intended. Mm -hmm. This person had a key to Tara's apartment and could have entered startled her um, and proceeded to kill her. That being said, there's no history with him of any violence that I can find. Um, I have also not been able to find any arrests regarding anything other than theft. I have had a few sources say he was dabbling in drugs at the time. Um, so, you know, I think this guy has good reason to be looked at. I think he has good reason to be vetted, but again, the leaves are not pointing that way. And that's why I reached out to you, Tracy, is because one thing that I found as I was combing through the UGA, University of Georgia Library Archives of news footage, I found a clip which contains one of the four people that we are talking about at the scene of the crime the day the mm -hmm. fire was discovered, and you've seen it. Um, and I really wanted you to look at it because it's so short. It is so short. But it's the only person on this list who we know to be around um, the scene of fire that day on camera. So I'll turn it back over to you and let you um, lead the discussion from here. Oh, yeah. So what we saw or what you sent was a it was a crime scene video where uh, things were roped off. The fire department was there. Like there's the yellow tape. There's people. There's police. And it's raining. And... There's a guy who you tell me is the maintenance man who looks nervous. Like he, and, and, and now this clip is short. It's what, 16 seconds? And, and his part of the clip is much shorter than that. And so what we saw was, because you can't tell guilt or innocence from a, a clip like that, you know, because he needs to be, um, excuse me, there's a hair in my mouth. <laughs> he needs to be talking right for for me to uh get some kind of read on it but what we saw him was hugging himself really tight really tight and that's a that's a self-hug that's uh it's it's crossed arms however it's it's much tighter than that because he's trying to comfort himself and so when we're looking at this uh, what we want to say is, okay, how could this occur? Like, what could possibly be on his mind, right? Because body language tells you what's on someone's mind, doesn't tell you why. And so, okay, so let's talk about what's going on. Okay, someone's been killed. 
that can make you uncomfortable. Oh, the police show up. Oh, now the news are here. Oh, you know, and it's in a property that I'm responsible for. And so you have all these things because maintenance men, we know how they are. They don't like to be the center of attention. They like to be left alone. I mean, and you have a lot of experience in the multifamily world. And, uh, and I, I have a lot of clients um, in that world as, as well. And that's always how the maintenance guys are, right? So, so you have all of these um, things that have, that have come together. Do, does it mean he's nervous because he killed someone? No, but he's nervous because the situation doesn't mean he could have killed someone. Absolutely. Um, but it, we can't determine guilt or innocence just, just based off of that. So we know he was nervous about something trying to calm himself. So that's about all we could get off of that. I sure wish we had some more video. I bet if you did, you can, can you find it? Well, if they were never interviewed, you're not going to find the video, are you? Well, this is what's frustrating. This suspect was not interviewed by police until 2006. Mm -hmm. Carol was killed in 2001. The first investigative group, I call them different regimes, which probably isn't the best word to use, but the official regime of this case, they came in and were hindsight focused on that classmate we talked about that mm -hmm. they weren't even looking at the maintenance man or in my opinion, the attorney either. And then you had a group of investigators come on in 2006 that I personally believe to be competent. I really do. And I think they have good reason to be looking at the maintenance man as a suspect. Um, that being said, you make a good point, I believe. And when you put this video together in, in the terms of your expertise, it really helped solidify a lot of what I was thinking. You mentioned me being in housing for everyone to know. Before I started this, I quit my full-time job as a leasing and marketing manager for student housing corporations. So uh, definitely a 160 degree turn here, 180. 180, turn. yeah, let's go the whole way, 180, yeah. Whole way. And so, <laughs> you know, it, it's just, it's just odd to me, but one thing that you say, you know, they think he has, he's a good person of interest because he's seen it the scene. Well, I have been in housing and if someone was murdered on my property and the police were there, I would be there too as Absolutely. an assistant manager. I would probably be standing in a way like this, not because like you say, I'm nervous about the crime, but it's a terrible thing to have happen. Um, in under your watch at a property. So I, I thought that was interesting that you pointed out. We also know that this suspect was dabbling in drugs and had some mental health depression issues. Mm -hmm. You know, I just think that there's a lot playing here that could be more than just, a, oh, I'm going to go back and visit the scene of a crime of a girl who I've just killed with no history of sexual violence, you know, randomly. Right. I, it's hard for me right now. That being said, I'm not closing my mind off 100% because that would make me a bad investigative journalist. <laughs> All right. Okay. So I got some questions for you. Okay. Now, um, when you're interviewing people and, uh, okay, so let's back up. So knowing that, that you're, because when I work with multifamily housing folks in, if you call people apartment people, they get upset. You call them multifamily professionals. And um, they're always my best audiences at reading people. Okay. So tell me, how are you reading people? Are people telling you the truth? Are they lying? What's your sniff test on that? Well, you know, it's really been difficult, as you can imagine. Like I said, when I started this podcast, I did not predict the pandemic would go into full swing as it has. So. Yeah. I really was hoping to be on the road a lot and interviewing people in person, but quite frankly, it's just not 
not able to happen right now. And a lot of people are really nervous as, and, and are trying to be safe, as am I. Mm. And so a lot of our interviews have occurred on the phone, which has been, you know, a little disappointing in the way of getting people like you to help. Um, but we are starting to implement some Zoom measures for people who know how to use it, um, where we can get that video. There are, though, a few people I have had the honor and privilege of either video conferencing with or meeting in person. And I, I do believe that most people are telling me the truth. Now, I will say that I do believe people are holding back in this case. And I don't know why. I believe that people are afraid. I believe that people are embarrassed by some of their past involvements. I believe that people are, you know, worried about what could happen if they speak out, not only to their career, but to their reputation. Um, but I want to remind them listening and everyone listening, the Baker family deserves justice 100%. And justice delayed, as we know, is justice denied. Yeah, yeah. As we have no justice after, after 20 years, I encourage everyone to continue to speak out. And I hope those people that I interviewed, whether on the phone or in person, will, you know, truly come to believe that they can trust me um, and that they can trust this podcast and that our intentions are good um, and that we are not out to, you know, kill, steal and destroy here. We are out to find justice for Tara. Um, and if your portion of that story is a huge part of that, I encourage you not to hold back because um, we can't afford that. Wow. Okay. So do you think that you've come in contact with the person who did it? Like face to face or on the phone? or? I do not believe that I have. Um, the attorney and several other key suspects have not returned requests for comment, um, as you can imagine. I can yeah. assume I. Um, I thought it was really telling, though, as you can imagine, Tracy, that her boyfriend did speak out. It is, yeah. In my call, um, and no one else has. I believe that I have encountered people that know, like I said, more than they are telling. Mm -hmm. um, I believe that they, they are truthful in what they're telling me, but I want to know more. And I'll continue to try to find out what that more is. And, you know, I don't view them as a bad thing, a bad person for withholding, but I am pleading with them to research their heart and and what they remember about that time in 2001 to really let me know. And one thing that's so crazy is people think the littlest thing that they have is not important. Well, I have found that sometimes it's the puzzle piece that completes one section of the puzzle. Oh, exactly. Yeah. People think that, oh, well, this little detail that I remember, such as seeing her at the grocery store the night before she was killed is not important. No, it's very important. And that that's kind of what we're seeing in the podcast is even figures that are not the type of people you would expect to talk to police who are talking to me. And that is why I think this podcast has the potential to really change the course of what's happening in regards to Tara's case. Oh, wow. Okay. One more question. Okay. Let's say you get an interview with, I don't know, it could be anyone and they say they did it. What are you going to do? Well, number one, I'm going to pray that I'm safe. Yeah, huh? <laughs> um, you could be next, Cameron. <laughs> yeah, I do make a rule that most of my interviews have to be in a park if they're going to be in person, somewhere public. Um, first of all, I want the public to know this. If I thought that I had the, the puzzle piece that put this piece and mystery together that would lead to not only a probable cause arrest, 
but a without a doubt conviction, I would turn that information immediately over to law enforcement. Do I think that I have found that last missing puzzle piece that would lead to a probable cause arrest and a without a doubt, beyond a reasonable doubt conviction? No. Do I believe that it is out there and that we are close? 100%. Oh, wow. Oh, I love it. Oh, that's such a mystery. Okay. So remind us where can people find your podcast, Classic City Crime? Tell us where they can get it. Yeah. So our website is classiccitycrime.com. There you can read more about Tara's case before you jump into the audio. Uh, you can also contact me with any questions and you can read more about how we got started with this. Um, and then you can find us on Spotify, SoundCloud, um, Apple uh, Apple Podcasts, yes, and Google Podcasts, pretty much wherever you listen um, to your podcasts. So we look forward to having all of you join us. And I encourage people to do two things, Tracy, when they listen to the podcast. Okay, number, wait, one, wait. number one is start from the beginning. Do not jump in because I want you to get to know Tara. I think you'll be able to understand better the persons of interest if you understand her. Secondly, I think you should take notes. <laughs> a lot of my listeners have said, wow, you told us to take notes in the beginning and I didn't believe you, but now I've started back over and I'm taking notes and that's what we want because as much as I like to think I know everything, I don't. And I'm not very, you know, I don't have the answers to all of these problems. And someone else may see something in their note taking that I don't necessarily pick up on. So that's why I'm asking people not to just listen to this journey, but to become a part of it. Um, so they can do that every Thursday. We're releasing new episodes. They usually drop around midnight Thursday. Um, so I would love to have everyone tune in and help us find justice for Kara. Oh, we're doing it. Okay, I'm gonna start from the beginning and then we'll see, maybe I'll solve it. <laughs> oh, I would, I, would love, I would love that. And I'm gonna make a promise to you that I'll have more video for you to review soon. Oh, I would love that, I would love that. Thank you so much for coming on Fraud Busting today. Thank you so much, Tracy. Thanks for joining me. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast, rate and review it. I'll see you next time.